because they are the same verses that we looked at last week. hear God's word together. Beginning of verse 10, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Did not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to hear your word as we approach this text that that we have begun. uh, Lord, we pray that that you would speak to us in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, we we come here today with with very many needs. We we come here with lots of things on our hearts and on our minds, problems, troubles, sin, Uh, and yet, Father, we need to, to hear from you clearly. We need to hear what you would have for us. And so, Lord, as we approach this time, we pray that your Spirit would be at work in our hearts, uh, that you would draw us closer to your side, that you would show us our great need, that you would show us our great Savior, and that through it all, the King would be glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we do uh, want to finish what we started here in these verses uh, last week, what we called Kingdom Considerations, and we want to do that by taking up two final points. Uh, we stopped early, uh, which I'm sure everybody appreciated, uh, but we're going to try to finish those two points up today. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to remind you where we've been. Now, much of this is going to come up again as we move forward, so we don't have to overdo this. Uh, But I do want to just kind of review for you quickly the two points that we've seen. Uh, You remember we said first that at any time we begin to consider the kingdom as Christ does here. And that's at the heart of what Jesus is trying to drive us at, right? Notice when he gets to those two parables that we're going to look at, it says not just he moves on to the parables, it says therefore. And so obviously these two things are connected. What's happening in this miracle what he says to the Pharisee, and then these words about the kingdom, all of this is connected in a real way. And so as we talk about the kingdom, we said it's important to always think about this already and not yet aspect that, that we experience in our reality even now. You know, often as God's people, much of our, 
uh, our trouble in the world, much of our confusion about things in Scripture, about eschatology, especially about the end times, what is to come, uh, much of our frustrations, much of our hopelessness in the world comes because we fail to make this essential distinction. When we say that the kingdom is not yet, certainly we are looking forward to a full consummation. We are looking forward to a day when Jesus will come and He will reign forevermore. We are looking forward to a day where He will make all things new, where sin will be no more, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more evil, where He will wipe every tear from our eyes. We look forward to that day certainly. In short, it is Revelation 19-22. through 22. If you know those passages, you know there you see the new heavens and the new earth. It descends down. You know there you see the marriage feast of the Lamb where the bride of Christ is, is on the scene and Jesus comes and He serves us there. You know there in those last chapters that the kingdom is established, the King is there in the midst of His people and He will rule forevermore. Friends, that's enough to get us excited, right? That's enough for even the Presbyterians to get excited. Looking forward to a day where that kingdom will be fully consummated. And so that's the not yet. That's what we look forward to. And as His people, we should live with that reality right now. Knowing full well what's to come. He has made it as clear as He can to us. This is what we look forward to. So may we not forget it. May we not forget that the kingdom is coming. But, at the same time, there's also the already. There's also the reality that that what Jesus has done is not just something that is strictly future, but it's also a present reality. It's also something that has affected our lives even now. We are not just citizens of this world any longer but we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Our, our identity, as we're going to see in just a moment, has changed. No longer are we uh, people just of this world, but even now, as we walk through this world, we are kingdom people. And that brings with it all of the benefits that, that Jesus has promised us, to some measure or another. We, we have His blessings. We have His obligations. Hear me there have blessings and obligations. We also have His protection, the protection of the King. And so we, we have what is to come, but we also live in the very present reality of what He has already accomplished for us. And that is a real reality now. Um, I'm going to say... Well, wait. We're going to say more about this later, so I've got to stop. I've got to stop. All right. Secondly, secondly, we saw last week, not only this, we could have called it a kingdom reality, But we also saw kingdom identity, right? And we saw that got us really into the passage before us. And we saw it in the story of this woman uh, who had had this disabling spirit from Satan for 18 years, right? Uh, She had been bent over. She could not straighten for all of these many years. And we said that surely hers was a life full of hardship, a life full of pain, a life full of rejection. And yet, what do we find her doing? We find her faithfully serving her God. She is at... Uh, the Lord's house on the Lord's day, ready to worship. And while she is there, she meets the Lord's Messiah. She meets the Son of God, 
who, unlike so many of the other people in her life, don't simply look through her, he doesn't look past her, but the text says he saw her. That's a loaded statement. That's, that's, that's again, enough to make us shout and sing. But he saw her, and with compassion, he reaches out, and in his grace and mercy, he heals her. She'd been over, been, been, been over for 18 years, and it says immediately she was straightened. And what we said is that in this lady, we see ourselves, right? Uh, we have this, this same desperate need that she had. Hers was a physical need, but also a spiritual need. But ours is a spiritual need to be sure. We need to be healed from Satan's attack on us. We need to be healed from our own sinful hearts. Certainly, we need to be transformed. And the point here is, is that in Christ, as we rest in Him, He gives us a new identity. He gives us the, the Holy Spirit. He gives us His blessings. He gives us the kingdom. And so we now live as kingdom people. I have written down here, and it's right, you know, with that in mind, I don't know if I said this last week, but I should have if I didn't. As kingdom people, we're not meant to be like Superman. Clark Kent, at one point, you know, I grew up, I really liked Superman. At one point in my life, I had an obsession with it, I think. Uh, Sam the other day, was, or maybe Wes, was going through a bunch of my old stuff, and there was just Superman stuff everywhere, and he was like, this is weird. And I said, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but... We're not meant to be like him. We're not meant to be Clark Kent uh, during the week and then meant to be super Christian on the weekends. That's not the way that the Lord has, has called us to be. And what we are meant to be is his always, everywhere we go. There's no way if we really are resting in him, we cannot live out our Christian identity. Any more than we can't live out our personalities. Any more than we can't live out our worldly identities, our jobs, our hobbies, all those things that make us who we are. Well, friends, what makes us who we are more than what Jesus has done for us? There is nothing that makes us who we are more than that. And so, we, we are resting in this transformation, uh, this new kingdom identity now. I realize I'm in danger here of preaching this all over again. And so we have to move forward. And so the next thing that I want you to see in this passage, we've seen a kingdom reality, we've seen a kingdom identity. The third thing that we see here are kingdom priorities. Kingdom priorities. And we see it there in the reaction of the Pharisee, this ruler of the synagogue, to what Jesus does for this woman. Notice there in verse 14. It says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Now I wonder, as, as you hear those words, as maybe you just think of Pharisees in general, maybe not this man particularly, but just when you hear the word Pharisee, what, what is it that, that goes through your mind? What emotions do you feel uh, when you hear of these men? Well, if you're like me, I imagine that you think of arrogance, certainly. Uh, maybe you think of misuse of power. Maybe you think of a complete unwillingness to have any kind of mercy or grace or compassion for those around them. 
Maybe as we think of them, there's even a little bit of anger, a little bit of outrage that they could act this way, right? At the very least, in true southern form, we step away from these stories going, well, just bless their hearts. How in the world could they have acted this way? How in the world could they have done it? And that's true. You know, there is truth in that. We need to recognize that Jesus saved his harshest criticisms, not for the people that we would have considered the worst of sinners. He saved his harshest criticisms for these men, for the Pharisees, these who were supposed to be the religious elite, right? He would say of them that, that they are whitewashed tombs. He's already said that in, in Luke. He's called them a brood of vipers. Here, he calls them hypocrites. Clearly, as we think about them, there's not much good to be gleaned from these Pharisees. But I set all of that up, not, not to try to produce sympathy in us for these men, but, but I set it all up there in that way because I want you to keep in mind something that's important. We said earlier that, that these wise men, at least wise in their eyes, what were they? They were the religious elite, right? They were the ones who, in their own minds, and in really in the minds of the Jewish people, who were the religious trendsetters. They were the theologians. They were the ones who had all this stuff about God truly figured out. They were the standard. They, they set the standard. You know, we see their actions, and given Jesus' response over and over again, we shake our heads. But my point here is that when these Pharisees acted this way, when they made these decisions, why did they do it? They did it because they thought they were right. Now look, certainly sin was mixed in with all that they did, but in their minds, they thought they were following God. Over and over again, as they do this, what do they bring to Jesus? Their own interpretation of Scripture, right? Even here, what he's doing is at least some ways in an interpretation of Scripture. And so my point here is, is that these men don't see themselves as the rebels we see them as. They don't see themselves as, as not following God. In their actions, they think they are doing the right thing. Again, I'm not trying to, to get us to be sympathetic towards them because the truth is, is they, they had Jesus right in front of them, they had the truth right in front of them, and they missed it. I simply want to say to us this morning, this is important, so hear me, that the dividing wall between follower and Pharisee is often a very thin one. Or at least it can seem like a very thin one in our own sinfulness, right? It's very easy to jump that line. And very unintentionally, with very good intentions, again, this man in our story, what's he trying to preserve here? The fourth commandment. He's trying to preserve the Lord's day. Now, again, they had come up with all kind of laws to make that happen. And his were man-made laws. But he is trying to do what he thinks the Lord would have him to do. Because the danger that the Pharisees faced is one that we all face as church people. It's one that, that we all face as we deal with one another and as we deal with a lost and dying world. 
This is particularly true as we as a church go out, as we face America today. This may particularly be true for the Reformed church in general. You know, we, we are very committed to that we've got this thing right. And look, I'd be the first to tell you that I think we do as well. But we, we go out and what do people say about us? If they're honest, they say about the church in general. They say we're arrogant. They say we're rigid. They say we're unwilling to compromise, that we're quick to break fellowship over almost any theological issue. And look, hear me. There are issues that we must break fellowship over. There are theological issues that are that important. Often we do these things in pride, right? We go out in arrogance. We go out waving our flag saying, Hey, we're right and you're not and you better shape up or you're going to be in trouble. That may be true, but to whatever degree there is pride in our hearts when we say that, to whatever degree we are not humble and compassionate and merciful, friends, we've missed the boat. We've missed the whole thing. To whatever degree we do that, we are acting far more like these Pharisees than we are like Jesus, than we are like the way the New Testament church was meant to act, right? And so as we, as we try to consider this, what, how can we avoid being Pharisees. Maybe that's the, the point we need to get to, right? We, we, can, we can point out our own flaws in this over and over again, but we feel them and we know them. So, so how can we avoid this danger as God's people? Obviously, we, we want to stand on truth. We need to stand on truth. But how can we be followers and not Pharisees? Well, if you notice in this passage, there's really two major things that I want you to see here. The first thing as we try to avoid this is we have to remember that, that uh, kingdom identity that we've already spoken about, right? Remember last week, we, we talked about the fact that for this woman, she knew very well who she was. Eighteen years she had suffered in this way. Everybody saw it. Everybody told her. She knew exactly who she was. She needed mercy. She needed grace. She needed someone to take this away from her. Because we're the same. This encounter with Jesus that she has, it changes everything. Now, I have written in my notes, who, who or what, we say there's a dividing wall between follower and, and Pharisee, and that often it's very thin. In some ways, it's, it's not very thin, right? In some ways, it's a very large wall, because who or what is that wall? It's Jesus, right? It's, he's the one that keeps us on the right side of this, of this danger that we face. And that's what happens for this woman. Sorry. Keep uh, knocking this thing around. Um, that's what happens to, to this lady. She has this encounter with Jesus. That's what happened to the leper, to the blind man before, even the Levi to some degree or another. They had this, this desperate condition. They felt the weight of sin. They felt the weight of, of the, what they were facing. They knew what they deserved. And in Christ, what did they find? They found grace. They found compassion. They found mercy that overflowed. Friends, as we go out into the world, this is, this is who we are. 
if we really are keeping our eyes on Jesus, then the first thing that, that we have to recognize, this is the thing that the Pharisees could never recognize, is that we're not going out to them. We are them. That, that's us. Apart from Jesus, that's us, right? We need compassion. We, above all up people, know how much we need mercy. And knowing that, having received it, what else does it do to us? It makes us merciful. It makes us compassionate. It makes us to want to be like our Savior. Friends, if by sheer grace we have received the love of our Lord, how much more now can we go out in the world and just by sheer grace love the people that we come into contact with, be merciful to them? Be compassionate with them. That's what he calls us to do. Secondly here, first, we, we have received mercy and grace, and so that keeps us from, from being pharisaical. It's hard to be pharisaical when we have received those sorts of things. Uh, but secondly, an encounter with Jesus, it also helps us recognize not only that, that we have been transformed, but that we continue to need to be transformed, right? Certainly, as, as we... Theologically, we think about our status in the heavenly throne room right now. We are holy, right? We are sanctified in Jesus. We're resting in Him. But in our actual experience, as we live out in this world, what, what is always there as well? Our sin is always with us, right? We always have need for the Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts, to be confronted by our, our failures, to be confronted by our shortcomings, to be confronted by God's Word. Again, for the Pharisees, God's Word was a sword that they could mold and they could shape and they would use on everybody else, but it was never a sword that they would use on themselves. Never a sword they used on their own heart. Friends, again, as we look to Jesus, that becomes impossible for us. One, because we know that He is the true prophet of God. We know that, that our, our whole life is in subject to what He has said to us. It's also because we know that the deposit He has given us is the Holy Spirit, right? That He is working in our hearts, always confronting us with our sins, always confronting us with who we continue to be, where we need to, to be brought into conformity with, with His law, with what He has said to us. Again, this Pharisee, he wanted to protect the fourth commandment, but he did it at the expense of commandments 5 through 10, right? But 5 through 10, what, what does that do? It says, love your neighbor as yourself is what Jesus says, right? And he missed those parts of the Old Testament that said, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He missed those parts of the Old Testament where, where Jesus is able to, to uh, very succinctly give it to us and say that the Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath, right? He had not applied the word that he knew so well to his own life. Friends, when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, when we know what Jesus has done, it makes it very hard to be a Pharisee because he is always confronting us. He is always transforming us, making us into his image. And so, how do we avoid Phariseeism? Do it by resting in the mercy and grace of Christ. 
We do it through the transformation that He has worked in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that He continues to work in us. In Him, we learn to to humbly and mercifully live with one another as He has humbly and mercifully dealt with us. That's the the ticket right there. That's the key. If we have any idea of, of our own need and the great salvation that we have received, Friends, it will make us loving, kind, gracious people. And so, we we see kingdom priorities. This Pharisee had his priorities mixed up, right? He wanted to protect God's God's, uh, day, and that's a good desire. But he did it at the expense of what God would have had him to do. Fourthly, and finally, we see here kingdom growth. All of this leads to kingdom growth. If we act this way, if we are merciful out in the world, then surely what Jesus says next will be the result of it all. And you see it here in these two parables that he gives in verses 18 through 21. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in, the, it hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now, I recognize that, that we're about out of time, and so I just want to kind of succinctly try to give this to you. The, the idea here is that from small beginnings, small beginnings, the kingdom grows until it reaches every nation, every tongue, every tribe, until all the world has heard the good news of our Savior. From small beginnings, Ben, ben gave us, he had the mustard seed. You, I, I couldn't see it, and I don't imagine the kids could either. Small, right? Very, very small. From just leaven. And think about the way redemptive history has unfolded. From one man, Adam, to, to Abraham, to, to an insignificant nation, Israel. From exiles, from a virgin birth, from, from a, a carpenter to a few uneducated fishermen, to sinners like you and I, comes the most dominant, the most significant religion that the world has ever known. One that has spread in many ways to to all corners of the world. Now certainly it has far to go. If you look at statistics, it's not, there's a long way to go. But friends, one of the the great... Uh, kind of apologetic tools for us as Christians is to say it is impossible to imagine that we would be here right now worshiping this man who rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem with people laying down their coats saying Hosanna and who just a few days later would be dead. That we would be here worshiping Him when His disciples were holed up in a room somewhere and, and did not have the strength to even go out. They were so afraid to even leave that they wouldn't leave. The fact that we are here worshiping Him right now seems almost impossible. How did it happen? It happened because in His great providence, He has chosen to take the insignificant things of this world He has chosen to take the weak, the the lowly, the things that everybody else would look over and to grow what we now know to be a great kingdom. What is going to continue 
to be a great kingdom until that day that Jesus returns. Even if we can't see it, even if it's not perceptible to us, we have this this sure uh, reality that the kingdom is growing. He is growing it through, through even the, the foolishness of the preaching of the Word. That's what the Bible says, right? He takes the weak things, small things. He grows His kingdom. Friends, if you're resting in that truth, I, I want to encourage you. Never lose heart. Never lose heart. No matter what this world may throw at you, that no matter what hardships or trials you may face, and they are many, I, I know, Never lose heart. This is the reality. The kingdom is growing. The king, in some degree or another, is on the scene. And he has promised he is going to come back and he is going to rule forevermore. That's what he's doing even now. It's what he's doing even now through his people. It's what he's doing through you. Through you. You and me. Through this church, right? This is our kingdom call. This is the last one. Kingdom call. We could have added this in as a point, and I didn't do it. We are called as the church to go out into the world and to make disciples of all men. Individually, we have that call, certainly, but it is the call of the church to go out into the world to spread the good news of the gospel. To be sure, God could grow all of this without us, and certainly, He may do that. But He has chosen us as the means to accomplish these things. His church, His people. Are we in every area, with every moment of our lives, considering His kingdom? Are we, with every moment of our lives, living for Him, knowing the compassion and the mercy He has given us, knowing our desperate need, we living as if He really has saved us. we living to see this, this kingdom grow. It's to thrive here on earth as it does in heaven. Friends, that's what we pray each and every Sunday. So may God give us in Christ the, the compassion and the mercy and the desire, the courage to see His kingdom grow. To see Him be glorified. Because again, as we read last week, to Him is all the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. To Him is the kingdom forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about these things, um, as we consider Your kingdom and our call in it, our call to it, the identity You have given us as kingdom people, what a, a joy it is. Uh, to know that you love us and that you've cared for us in so mighty a way. Uh, and Lord, I pray that, that you would always uh, make that truth the reality of our hearts uh, so that as we go out into the world, we don't live in light of all that we see around us, uh, but that we constantly live in light of, of what we know to be true, of what is to come and what is true even now. Uh, Father, we rejoice in the King, uh, the King who has come, the King who is returning. And we rejoice that we can be his people. And thank you for the blessings, the protections, all that all that, that gives us. Uh, Lord, again, may the desire of our hearts to be, that, to, to, to be to see that king glorified throughout the world, even to the ends of the earth. May we, we as your church uh, be about that call that you have given us to make disciples of all men. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. As we conclude our service, we invite you to sing.